make this clear that number one, knowledge puffs up. You ever been around a know-it-all? How many love a know-it-all? I didn't think nobody likes to be around a know-it-all, right? Somebody who always has to tell you what they think. Come on, right? Uh, uh, and, and so knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let me ask you this question. Are you puffed up or are you a builder? Do people run from you when you come around or are you, do you have all the knowledge in the world? The issue is this, that knowledge can make you feel prideful, right? Can make you feel elevated, that I am above you because I know something that you do not. You know, a kindergarten teacher has a lot more knowledge than her students or his students, right? Come on, right? Should. But you know what a you know what a kindergarten teacher doesn't do go around trying to uh, make those young stu- young students who don't understand what she knows feel bad about what they don't know right, and so we see this oftentimes. Come on, I'm gonna pick on uh, you. We're close to the university uh, up up north right there. I won't say it, call it by name, okay? But we see this oftentimes in higher education or people who elevate their thinking because I'm educated, guess what? I have knowledge. How many know that knowledge puffs up? Come on now, government workers, knowledge puffs up. You don't know what I know. And, and, and you know, not to say that all educated people are that way because they are not, all right? Listen, I don't wanna, I don't wanna pull everybody, lump everybody in, but this is addressing uh, having a religious knowledge and, and, and basically, some people say, well, I have all this knowledge and I know all this thing. But Paul is saying this, having love in your heart is more important than having all the knowledge. And what you do with that knowledge, if you have the right amount of love, guess what? That knowledge will come forth with love. Everyone say love. All right. So be a builder with love, not, not a talking head with knowledge. say that again be a builder with love not a talking head with knowledge and let me tell you something that's that is good advice that's not just good biblical advice that's just good advice in general all right and and this is one of Paul's you know really it's really kind of an attack on arrogance or pride amen and so he starts this with this he's saying hey you guys sent this question to me and and one of the things you said is we all have knowledge and Paul says big deal you have knowledge that puffs you up but our do you have love? So he says this in, in, in verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know he as he ought to know. So you don't know as much as you think you do. That's what Paul's saying. You, you don't know as much as you actually think you do. How many, how many, when you were 16 years old, living at home, knew everything about the world and thought your parents were were dumb. You thought your parents didn't know. Come on, be honest in here. How many thought your parents, man, they don't know anything. I know everything. I remember I was talking to someone today uh, here at the church, and I said, man, when I was in my 20-something, I thought I knew everything. And let me tell you something. Life has a way of humbling you, right? Have a few kids. Life will humble you, amen? And, and you will you will learn. I, and listen, at the age of 42, the more I get older, the more I realize I know nothing. I've come to that realization that I am okay with that. I don't have the answer to everything. And I find it interesting that 
that after uh, Paul says this, he says he says in, uh, that idols are nothing here in this chap in chapter eight. But he'll say in chapter 10 that there are demons behind him. So this is interesting, kind of a, a little bit of a contrast. But look at this verse. Verse three says, but if anyone loves God, everyone say love God. He is known by God. So on one hand, Paul says, because idols are nothing, go ahead and eat meat offered to them. Uh, but on the other hand, he'll say in, in chapter 10, indeed, there are demonic forces behind idols. So so what are the Corinthians to do here? Right. On, if they're looking at this case, they should be OK with this. And and I believe the answer is simply found in Genesis chapter two. So one of the best illustrations that we have here is having of having knowledge is found in Genesis chapter two. Here we see the story of Adam and Eve and they they are eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Tempted, they, they, you know, surely you will not die. Come on, there's a half truth to that. But guess what? There was knowledge that was given. Yet once they disobeyed God and ate of the tree, they realized, number one, that they were naked, right? And they hid. And when God came before them, he said, who told you you were naked? And, and it's interesting. So they they had a knowledge of something that they hadn't previously previously had. The result was this intimacy with God was broken and had been broken. So, too, come on, if I'm not so careful, I can become puffed up with pride, with knowledge and understanding of, of theology that I'll depend less on my prayer life. Come on, somebody. I'll depend less on uh, uh, I'll be less inclined to to wholly follow the father father because I have so much puffed up information and so much knowledge. Come on. Right. And listen, I see this oftentimes with people who have gotten their doctorates and thought I'm going to get my doctorate in theology. And the, and the thing about theology that you have to remember is this, is that when you're studying those deep things, you have to remember that this is based off of a relationship with God. Number one, that's the that's the number one thing. And so here's what happens to us. You know, we're inclined to lean into what we know in situations based rather than based on what God says. All right. I'll give you a good example. Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23 through 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. That's pretty, pretty uh, uh, self uh, spoken there. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Verse 24. But let him. Who boast, boast in this, and that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Everyone say love, justice, and righteousness in our in in the earth. For in these things I delight, de declares the Lord. So three things, man. How many want the Lord to delight in your life? You you know what? You ought to you ought to be about love. You ought to be about justice and you ought to be about righteousness and God will delight in your life. So the word know here speaks of intimacy as a man knows his wife. We talked a, a little bit about that last week. It's what I, what it's saying is there is it's beyond surface level. Have you ever met someone and you know them at a surface level? And there's a difference between somebody that you met one time versus your spouse, right? There's, there should definitely be a greater intimacy with your spouse than just somebody you met at the airport one day, right? And there are people who know the Lord, but they do not know him intimately. All right? I, I know who Jesus is, right? The American culture, man, 
that is probably one of the most over-churched places in the world. A lot of people are like, I, I, I know who God is, but they do not really know him intimately or in a close relationship. Yeah, these will say, Lord, uh, didn't we, you know, and the Bible talks about this. They'll say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do signs and wonder for your kingdom? And this is what he'll say, depart from me, for I never, what, knew you to know an intimate relationship with God, to have a, a relationship that is deeper than just surface level. Again, that word now know speaks of a deeper level, an intimate, an intimate one. Well, are you saying this, Pastor, that I that I should not grow in the word? No, quite the opposite. Study the scriptures, get knowledge from it, right? Become a student of the Bible. But but just as as you do, make sure that love has the priority in your life. Amen. Make sure your love for God is first and foremost, and the word of God will confirm God's leading in your life. Make sure, hey, God, you know what? And things that you read in scripture, if you if you read them through the lens of love that God has given you, guess what? He will make those pages jump out at you and you'll begin to walk in a, in a free in a freeness that you've never had. But look, Adam and Eve, they they knew the Lord. They walked with the Lord every Every evening is what the scripture says. They they knew him in a different level. And guess what? One day we'll know him in that level, too, when when things are made right. Intimacy and they depended on him. Verse four says this. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. All right. And that there is no God but one. Thank you. Verse five. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, little g gods, and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God. Everyone say, one God. The Father from, who you, uh, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord. Everyone say, one Lord. Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through him we exist. So Paul's saying this. There's no big deal with eating meat from idols. For we know this, there's one true God, our Father. There's only one true Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, but look at this. So he says that, but look at this. Verse 7, however, everyone say however. So this is taking that word however, uh, is taking that word, okay, and we are we, we said this statement here, but now we're going to shift gears, okay, on the, uh, on the flip side of this. It's no big deal. Paul says it's no big deal, except it's a big deal. <laughs> what? Paul, what? What in the world? How can you say it's not a big deal and then all of a sudden it say it is a big deal? Or what do you mean? It's not a big deal to you who are not tempted by certain things. But it, he says this, but your brother or your sister who is struggling in that area, guess what? It can be a stumbling block to them. So although eating meat offered to idols is not a threat to the true God, it doesn't threaten God in any sense, in any form or any any way. And although eating meat offered to idols won't affect me personally, guess what? He's saying this. However, I need to be aware that that if uh, what I am doing may affect other people. Come on, somebody, right? A lot of us don't like to hear this kind of teaching. We like to, oh, pump, you know, pastor, you know, pump us up, make us feel good about ourselves. But let me tell you something. You have a role in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. You have a role in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, however, not all possess this knowledge. 
Not everybody has the knowledge that, that you guys are talking about and saying to Corinthians. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered uh, to an idol, and, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So they struggle with the fact that you're eating food that was given to an idol that they used to serve, and they're trying to understand why, why a Christian would do such a thing. Come on, somebody. Natural tendency is to think that, that the brother or sister who would be righteously indignant over the eating of meat offered to the idol would be the spiritual giant. But the Bible says the opposite. The one who has rules and regulations, guess what? They are, they are a little bit uh, weaker or more sensitive. But Paul calls a person who is bound by rules and regulations that, you know, he almost, he says they're weak or, or not mature for, for spiritual maturity ones, you know, is, is what he's saying. So the more free uh the, the mature person the more freer he will be but going back to verse one okay look at verse one it says this knowledge what puffs up but love what builds up and and here here's the thing I, I can i may be free to do it but guess what i can be a stumbling block for somebody who is tempted by that thing Love is not puffed up. You know what love does? Puts others first. <laughs> Come on. I know you don't like that. But I, I, I need you to understand. I need, to, I need to help to take you somewhere that you've never been. Because as you grow in Christ, man, you ought to be getting closer to the Lord each and every day. So look at this. He says this. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat. And no better off if we do. I'm better off if I don't eat, right? Some of us say, boy, the scale's better off if I don't eat, right? But, but take care of this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So Paul says, we know eating meat makes us no better or no worse in God's sight. However, the knowledge must be tempered by a, a higher principle. And that principle is this, love. Let me, let me put it down to you in the old Ozark terms. I love you more as a person than I do this thing that I can do. And if it's a stumbling block to you, I won't do that to help you. Love covers what? A multitude of sins. Am I free to do it? Maybe. Is it helping that person? No. And I shouldn't be. All right. So, so think of it like this. If my liberty makes someone stumble... Then I missed the whole point. I, I did. Liberty is good, but I should love someone enough to keep them from being tempted. So, so why are people immature in the faith? So, uh, you know, people that are struggling. I, I suggest three reasons. Here you go. You can write these down. First, some people are immature because they're new Christians. Man, when you're a new Christian, we don't expect you to to be a know-it-all in the Bible. We don't expect you to know everything because you you're learning these things. And so, uh, liberty is good, but I, I should love someone enough. Right. We should love them enough to know that they may not know the Bible. Matter of fact, a lot of people, new Christians are ignorant. Nowhere in, in the world did I learn this more than when I was a, a youth pastor. OK, uh, uh, as a youth pastor, I dealt with so many young physically and spiritual uh, Christians. And, and I'm going to be real with you. The ignorance was real. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The ignorance of, of Bible and say, boy, ignorance is a rough word. That just means they didn't know. No one had taught them the things of God. They didn't know the simple things. You say things like salvation to somebody who's never, they're like, what is that? 
What do you mean? What do you mean? Come down. Ask Jesus into my heart. What does that mean? Like, I, I don't understand this verbiage. Sometimes we have our church words, right? But I learned this. I had to explain things about the ki- kingdom uh, different, in a different way than, than the way of the world. So as, as Christians, the race starts at, at the finish line, right? Let me t- I'll tell you why. Here, here's what Jesus said. It is what? So once we're saved, we're at the finish line. This, man, this is great. This is a beautiful thing. We don't fight for victory, but guess what? We fight from victory because the work is already done on the cross. Secondly, here's the second thing, reason for immaturity, is that someone is a spiritual baby. Maybe they've been in church a long time. Maybe they're not a new Christian, but they're a spiritual baby. They just refuse to grow. They refuse to go deeper into the things of God. They are a spiritual brat. else's kid is a brat, but your kid is not a brat, right? Hebrews says you should be eating meat by now. Now, this is a lot of meat. Paul says it there in Hebrews, I believe, the writer of Hebrews, he says, grow up. Grow up. Uh, Some refuse to grow. Right? Right? They come to church to make everything about them. They don't come to serve. They don't come to, to, to learn. They don't come to grow. They, they make it about you guys are all here on Bible study night, man. You know, kudos to you guys. I don't think anyone in this building right here right now is in that place. But listen, you know, we have to understand that, that, that some of us have been, you know, at times maybe have been stuck in this area. I can think of a time in my life where I was stuck in this area. And, and, and they're locked in permanent immaturity. Here's the third thing. The third, third reason for immaturity is that some people are scared children. Right? They know God, but they're scared to death. They're, they're afraid to come out of the house, right? It's kind of like, man, uh, you know, uh, when I was growing up, I was terrified of storms. And I remember seeing the meteorologist on TV, and he would be like, hey, we're going to have a storm tonight. And I remember being like, I am terrified automatically, you know, knots in my stomach. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Knots in my stomach. You hear the thunder, and I'm listening to trees hit the windows and whatnot. And I'm like looking at my parents. I'm like, are we going to die? And, you know, obviously they can't say yes or no. They just say, no, we're going to be okay, right? And we don't know. And I remember our power going out several times, and our church caught on fire and got struck by lightning one time. I mean, like crazy, crazy things that, like, scarred me, all right? But, but, you know, just because there's storms outside doesn't mean – we have to be afraid and hunker down and hide. Some will say, I can't, I can't go there or I can't do this because I'll, I'll be wiped out. And their whole life is characterized by fear, a scared child. So perhaps you, you see those tendencies in your own life. I don't know. Or in the lives of those you're, you're maybe, and I'm going to say this, in the lives of those that you are discipling or should be discipling. Come on, pastor. The baby who who uh, hasn't had time to grow, the spoiled child who won't grow, and the scared child who is afraid to grow. It's, it's only when a man or a woman becomes more spiritually that he finds himself in liberty. Verse 10 says this, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an, in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if, he, if his conscience is weak? 
that will not be encouraged if his conscience fails. Conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. So more important than knowledge and more important than I than my freedom to have a burger is what, what he's saying here. The realization is that my liberty could adversely affect a weaker brother. That's the big picture. You see, I might be able to talk to him into participating in an activity that I would do. That's fine for me. But but if he if he does and he says that later feels like, man, I walked in compromise or uh, or my prayers won't be heard. Uh, that's that's you know, here's the thing. That's why when someone says, man, I I have a conviction about something. I never talk to him out of the conv- that conviction because the Holy Spirit does a whole better job than I could ever do. And if you feel deeply in yourself, I have this conviction about something, even if I think it's legalism on the borderline legalism, I just say, Lord, you just begin to speak to them. Lord, you you help them. Oh, I'll discuss it with them if they ask my opinion, but I, I won't I won't encourage him to abandon their convictions simply on the basis of my own freedom. All right. How many know we're all on a different journey here? Right. Verse verse 12 says this. Thus. All right. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, look at this next line. You what? You what? You what? Come on, say it. You sin against who? Woo! Here is where we have to be careful with our liberty. A weak conscience can can become defiled and wounded. Your, your younger brother or sister may be shocked or saddened or disappointed regarding you and your When would a person like this, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we sin, when we do that, we sin against Christ. That's, that's, that's pretty blatant language, isn't it? It's one thing to sin, but it's another thing to willfully sin against Christ. I, 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 you know, it's one thing to hurt people, but it's another thing to hurt Christ who died for me, right? There was a song, you know, way back when, when I was a teenager, and it was, does he still feel the nails every time I fell? You know, and one of the things I want to do, I never want to hurt Christ with my actions or the way that I'm doing. Amen. So, uh, yes, you know what? They may be spiritual children. They may be spoiled. They may be scared. Uh, but can I tell you this? They are all his children. Stop and think about that for a minute. Yeah. Man, they need to grow up. Yeah, absolutely. But guess what? Christ died for them. They're still his children. Amen. They are worth fighting for. Amen. He cares and he loved them so much that he died for them. So look at this. If Christ died for them, all right, if Christ died for them, then I can live for Christ and die to myself to help them. All right. I, I know it's, it's quiet in here. My own selfish wants and my own selfish desires, they need to stay at the door because somebody's soul is on the line. Am I flaunting my liberties and saying, I can eat, I can do this, I can boast, I can, I can do this. My, my weaker brother or sister uh, making them stumble, guess what? I sin not only against them, but I sin against Christ. Verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So what he's saying here, here's the bottom line. If meat offends my weaker brother, I won't eat it. Period. Is the reason the Lord used Paul powerfully? I don't know. Because he was willing to, to, he loved people and he loved the gospel so much 
that he was willing to, to lay it all down just so someone could come and know Christ. What if, what if we love people more than we do the thing that we feel that we're free to do? I'm, I'm just being honest. How much more could God use us if we had that mentality of I love you more than the freedom that this world can offer to me temporarily. But this is an eternal soul and that matters more than me doing this thing that I may have liberty to do. But guess what? I'm not going to make for myself. So as a minister, I, I, you know, there's certain things I will not open up my, myself to. There's certain things uh, that I deal with. I deal with. So many things on a weekly basis from people who are struggling, marriages that are broken, uh, people that are dealing with addiction. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. I am not tempted in the least bit. Listen, I'm going to step on some toes, toes right now, so you might as well get your boots ready. I am in the least bit not tempted by alcohol in my life because, listen, I made a covenant with God a long time ago. Guess what? I am leaving those things behind. Well, is the Bible clear on this? You know, there's certain things it says do not get drunk many, 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 many times. All right. But listen, when you've dealt with people, come on, when you've seen people that have been uh, uh, in bondage to addiction and you've seen them freed by Jesus Christ. Listen, you will get to the place where you say God's freedom and God's love for you is greater than the liberty that I might have to exercise. And me personally, as a minister, the Bible tells me, listen, I have to hold myself up to a higher standard because guess what? Every soul that comes in this building, whether if I go out and I go social drinking and someone who is a visitor in this church sees me, guess what? I may make them stumble. I'm challenging you. I am pushing you. I am, I am telling you, raise the bar in your life. You will not regret it. I have yet, I have yet anybody that ever let those things go in their life, listen, who have been in bondage by those things and let those things go, ever go, man, I regret the day that I was, I went, I, I became sober. Never. I have never heard that in my life, but I have heard people say, I regret the day that I let that go. You know what? I've determined in this. I love people too much. And I love the Lord too much to be a stumbling block for anybody. So next chapter, I'm, I, I know you're so passionate. Pastor, you're so passionate about that because, listen, listen, I believe, I believe. Listen, I've said this every week. The time is short. You got to stop playing games. You got to stop playing games. And I think God is pushing us in, uh, to a greater place. So at, at, if you this this next chapter, Paul surrenders his rights, and that, that's the subheading of this. So after exhorting the Corinthians about laying down their liberties in order that others would not stumble, here in chapter nine, 9, Paul uses himself as an example. I mean, what a greater example to use than just yourself, and I love you. Verse 9, we're going to try to go through this as fast as we can. He says this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Remember, he saw him, you know, on the Damascus Road, and, and then he went and, and, and to the Arabian Desert, and there God began to speak to him, Jesus began to speak to him. Are, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Here's verse 2. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. He's talking to the to Corinthians there. He's like, everyone else in Corinth that don't go to church, I may not be an apostle to them, but I am an apostle to you because I, I am part of this church. At least I, I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those 
who would examine him. So they're, they're, they're challenging Paul here. The people of Corinth are challenging him, and they're, they're trying to accuse him of some things. So a, a, an apostle is one who has sent out a spiritual statesman. And so an apostle was also someone who, who has seen Christ, all right? And, and you know, um, and, and so Paul saw him with his physical eyes and in his, in his uh, uh, resurrected state. So Paul had been sent to the Corinthians to bring them uh, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and disciple and develop them as and, and to labor among them. Verse four says this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Verse five. Do we not have the right to take along a, a, a believing wife as as do the other apostles, the other brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Verse six. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So so in verse in the next six verses, Paul makes a claim that he has a right to support himself financially, uh, you know. And honestly, what's going on here, the Church of Corinth, they don't want to pay Paul for the work that he is doing. And, and he's not asking them for a dime, but, but they're saying, hey, you, you shouldn't do this. But Paul's saying this, well, time out just a second here. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, Jude, the, the half-brother of Jesus, and Peter, hey, those are all apostles. Guess what? They are doing this for a full-time living. Yes, I am a tent maker, Paul's saying. I, I'm making tents during the day. I am, I am doing this to help support myself. And, and he's not concerned about them necessarily giving him money, but he's saying, hey, I'm not supported by you, Corinthians, so I, I'm working to make ends meet. So kind of get off my back. I'm, I'm doing my job here. And, but Paul was supported by, by other churches, all right? We know that. So verse 7 says this, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? When a, when a, a soldier joins the army, he is not supposed to bring his own tank, Right? When you join the military, you don't bring your own tank, right? If you go into the Air Force, guess what? You don't come in and say, hey, I brought my own F-22 Raptor right here, you know, $192 million. I, I brought my own, right? When you join the Navy, you don't bring your own submarine, right? Matter of fact, when you join the military, guess what? They give you, they provide you a uniform. They provide you a place to sleep, whether you like it or don't like it. They provide you food, right? They provide everything you need to succeed. And Paul's making, making an analogy here. He's using this military analogy. He says this, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? How many of you guys plant gardens and don't eat any of the fruit and just give it away? I don't think so. You know, how many of you plant a garden and like, scarf up and give a little bit away right all right but or who tends the flocks without getting some of the some of the milk not only are there, are there military personnel provided uh, uh you know with everything you need but he switches analogies and says hey all you all you people who are farmers hey guess what you eat some of the fruit that you that you raise and some of you uh people who raise cattle guess what you eat some of the ribeye steaks come on somebody right and verse eight do i say these things on human authority does not the law also say the same Hey, Paul looks to the law to support his statement and his uh, and for his right of financial support. In in First Thessalonians, Paul warning against idleness gives substance to his claim of earning a wage. Look at this, First Thessalonians chapter three, verses nine through twelve. It says this: It was not because we do not have the right, but but to you, but but to give you in ourselves examples to imitate. Verse ten. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him what? Not eat. Not eat. For, for we hear that someone, uh, that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, 
but busybodies, come on, how many know there's somebody at work that's always a busybody, ain't getting nothing done, but they're just busy running around, right? Verse 12, some, if you don't know who that is, that may be you. Verse 12, not now, come on, laugh a little bit. Now such persons we command and are encouraged in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So uh, he says this. For it is written in the law of Moses, I told you he talks about the law, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Or does, it, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Paul says this, it is written for our sake. So what is Paul saying? In other words, the ox that grinds the corn, he'd be able to eat the corn, right? How many remember the story of the little little red hen, right? No, you don't remember the story where she has to make. How many of you kind of has to make something? And she asks everybody to help her make something, and they're all too busy doing something. And then finally, I think makes bread. Is that right? Am I right? Okay, thank you. She makes bread, and then everyone smells the bread and like, I'll help you eat the bread. And the little red hen said, No, 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 no. When I asked you for help, you didn't want to help me through the process. Sounds like my wife. You didn't help me with dinner. Come on, somebody, right? All right, he's saying this, that, that, that the, the ox, when he grinds the corn, should be able to eat the corn. It's not muzzled. It's not prevented from doing that. Paul uses the Old Testament reference out of Deuteronomy chapter 25 and 4. And then, and then also in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, when he tells young Timothy, get ready. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge your dedication to the Lord right now. <laughs> he tells the young Timothy that the elders, pastors, and, and teachers should be counted at double honor is what he says okay those guys they they should be blessed beyond matter this law is not completely is not only beneficial for the oxen but they get some corn for their work and this is this is a beautiful illustration to people um, because the plowman should plow in what hope the preacher should be excited about life right the minister ought to be excited hope is what come on Hope is what? Come on, the expectation of what? Coming good. Everyone say, the expectation of coming good. All right. So just like the oxen, man, he's grinding there, and he knows, preacher, I'm going to put my nose down here. I'm going to get some of this corn, right? I'm excited. And, and, and as we grind away at ministry, come on, we should expect good things to come our way. Amen? That's why we can sing, your goodness is running after it's what? Running after me. You know why? Because God is good. So look at this. And the thresher threshed in hope for of sharing in the crop. Verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So material things here um, can be translated. Some translations probably say carnal things. I don't know what Bible you're in. It's referring to this. Finances. Come on. Well, Paul goes on to give another reason why he had to fight uh, to be supported in ministry. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not, uh, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So it's already your custom to support other ministers, but hey, if you're not going to support me, that is A-OK -okay with me. And that's, you know, um, 
you know, here's the thing. I, I will say this. When we have a guest speaker in this church, one of the things that, that I feel that is very important, and no matter who the speaker is, is to honor them and to bless them as they come. Amen. And send them down the road with a blessing. Amen. It, it, double honor is what Paul said in, in Timothy. Command those people should have double honor. Listen, if you may not understand this, but some of those people that, that come through here are ministers and, and, and some of them are evangelists in different situations, and you don't always know their financial situation, but we want to be a blessing to people that are spreading the gospel of Christ, right? And one of the great things I've learned, come on, from many of my mentors was this, is if you want honor, you pour out honor. You bless and you love. I remember one time, and I don't, I don't do this to, to say anything bad or negative about anybody. I remember one time I was invited to speak at a church. And, and I went and I spoke at this church, and it wasn't a, a very large church. And I'll never forget, at the end of the service, no big deal here, uh, the pastor comes up to me and says, I, I'm sorry. He goes, man, we, we just cannot give you anything. And I, I was okay with that in the moment. I was, I was good. Uh, and I didn't get mad about it, but I did think, you know, well, why did you invite me to come if you couldn't do anything? Like, I mean, in reality, right? It's kind of like, hey, I'm going to ask you to come landscape my yard, but I can't pay for it, right? And, and I wasn't mad about it, and I'm not mad, and I'm not bitter about it, because, listen, I learned a long time ago God supplies my needs and not man, and so it was no big deal at the end of the day. But look at this. Verse 12, it, it says this, or verse 13 says this, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? So Paul looks back here at the verse to communicate to the Corinthians. He says, that the priests in the Old Testament even took portions of the sacrifices from the altar. Did you? That was that was that was their right. Verse fourteen. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So uh, Jesus responds in, in Matthew chapter ten, verses nine and ten. He says, "No bag for your journey." He's talking about the disciples. He's sending them out here. He says, "No bags for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves uh, his food." And verse eleven. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So just find somebody's house and stay at their house. Boy, nothing like, you know, aren't you glad that we don't have ministers come in? And I'm like, hey, uh, you know, Jeff, you know, we have this minister coming in. I need them, I need them to come and stay at your house. And, and we just invite them in and let them stay at their house until they're ready to depart. How many glad we don't do that? All right. But, but Jesus saying that, it's like, hey, you disciples, when you go out to minister, go, go do these things. So Paul refers here to Christ's command. But look at this, verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I'm not worried about what you're giving or not giving me, for I would rather die than have someone deprive me on the grounds of boasting. So, so let's put all this, what Paul's saying right here together. On the basis of, of this, so Paul, Paul's saying, I'm going to give you six things here that tell you why, 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 you know, why you should be blessing me, okay? Here's number one. On the basis of, number one, my apostolic authority, who God has made me, I have seen Jesus. Here's the second thing, human logic. Human logic tells you if someone does a job for you, you ought to what? Pay them. You ought to bless them. The Old Testament law says, hey, hey, guess what? The oxen grind in the corn. Don't they even get a little bit of the corn? The present custom of the day was this. Come on, in our day is this. You work, you ought to eat, right? Old Testament community offered the same thing, and Jesus commanded. So Paul makes a persuasive and powerful case that he had the right to be supported by the ministry. But then he says, 
would rather die than to cause the Corinthian believers to stumble in that area. It's not about the money to him. Culturally, in, in Corinth, there were a number of preachers, both Christians and pagans, who were ripping people off of their money. You know that's not just a, a modern uh, 2023 thing. How many know there are people on the Internet that are ripping people off of their money? Right? I'm just saying. Some people are using the ministry for their own gain at times and financially. And listen, I, I say this, Lord, help them, Lord. Lord, you, you speak to them. Lord, you deal with them. So Paul lays aside his right to be supported in, by ministry uh, to not wound the weak, the conscience of the Corinthian church. Now, here's the thing. Some of you just burst to, t- to try and disqualify preachers and ministers from receiving uh, the work of the hands. There have been people say, well, Paul said I can't give, you know. But they're, they're not accounting for what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11:18, where Paul said he, he w- uh, could not take money from the Corinthian church only because, here's why he couldn't, this is the only reason he, could, he didn't take money from the Corinthian church, because the church of Ephesus was helping him and other churches were blessing him. His needs were being met. Also, in Acts chapter 18, 13, Paul works with his hands making tents. He did this not to burden anybody, all right? So look at this, verse 16, he, he was bivocational, he was doing two things. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Can't boast about anything, you know what, but the gospel. I, man, nothing I do with my hands is important because the gospel is what is important. It's what he's saying there. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul says, I'm not a martyr. I don't glory in my willingness to be uh, 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 not supported by churches. I, he says, no, I have no other choice. It doesn't matter if I get paid or don't get paid. I have to preach the gospel. It is not a, a job to me. It is a calling to me. Regardless of what you Corinthians do for me, it doesn't matter. I will still preach the gospel. Paul didn't say, I'm, uh, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. You aren't paying me. No, he could have easily said that. No, he didn't. You know, in, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah was in a dungeon. He was tired, and the people were mad at him. And, and there's a prophet, a weeping prophet, and he said, you know what? I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm just, I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to keep it to myself. But if you look in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says, if, if I say I will not mention him, talking about Lord, or speak any, any more in his name, there is in my heart as it as as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am, I am weary from trying to hold it in. I cannot. And so like Jeremiah, Paul's saying this. It doesn't matter if I get paid, if I don't get paid, if I get tired, I don't get tired. Guess what? There's a fire in my bones, and that is to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this. Preachers will preach regardless. Let me tell you something. It cannot be contained. Amen. Verse 17. For if I do this on my own. Will I have a reward? But if not on my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So Paul's saying, woe is me if I don't preach. If I do it willingly, I'll have a reward. But even if I I do it because I have no other choice, the gospel has been entrusted to me. I, I have a question for you. What if we looked at the gospel like this? God, you're entrusting me with the gospel. And, and, and God has, can I tell you this? God has entrusted you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask a tougher question. What if the world 
The only way the world could know Jesus depended on you spreading the gospel. I'm going to ask you now to come here and receive him. understand uh, you know here's the thing it, it, it that we have to take this thing seriously listen you ought to tell everybody about Jesus right if you're not here you gotta tell everybody about Jesus you're in line for a beer as a person in front of you tell them about Jesus why are you so happy Jesus Christ not this cold brew I just got over here talking right for though I am free from all. I've laid down my rights and every law. Do you really prefer me? Right? That's so next part of that scripture says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. I was Paul speaking in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. They follow the law, but I was walking in the law. They were, they have all these rules and regulations. I was following them because I wanted them to look at me so I could tell them about Jesus at the given moment that I might win those under the law. Acts 16.3 says, Paul, he didn't flaunt his liberty. Instead, uh, he says this, I became like them, and indeed he did. You know, I, I'm going to test your level of how much you love the Lord. There, there was a reason he had Timothy, okay? Timothy, how many know that Timothy's dad was a Gentile? Timothy's mom was a Jew, so by, by law, he didn't, he didn't have to be circumcised by Jewish law. So here he is coming into the ministry at, you know, uh, a, a little bit, maybe 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. His dad was Greek, but, but for the sake of the Jews, guess what? Paul said, Timothy, you need to be circumcised. Now, boy, I don't know about you. How committed to Christ are you? He said to the Jews, hey, we're going to we're going to be all in. We're going to we're going to do what we can to tell them about Jesus. Look at this. Verse 21 to those outside the law. I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, not not under not not doing these crazy things that 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 I think I have liberty, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22 to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. Paul was more interested in winning souls than he was anything else. You know the balance, the balance of that? Paul didn't flaunt his liberty to the Jews, and, but he also didn't force the laws of the Jews on the Gentiles. Do, are you seeing the balance here? He's got this balance, but without uh, compromising his moral or violating his principles, uh, he fit in with both. He was a chameleon. I'm going to minister to this group. I'm going to minister to this group. You know what? The people in Guatemala, you got to minister to them in a different way than you minister to people in Bedford, Indiana. The people in California, come on. Man, you just got to pray and cast out demons to minister to those people, all right? Amen. Every, everywhere is different. All because Paul says, I do all this that I might win them. Win them to who? To Christ. It's the most important thing. Verse 23. I do it. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul was righteous. He gave up his right to minister. He, he blended with the Jews, and he, and he blended with the Gentiles. And he, and he said, you know what? I got I to gotta do what I got to do. Listen, if you're going to reach the youth in, in this world, listen, you, you've got to try to blend with them without compromise. Come on, somebody. 
right? You got to get down on their level, but you you don't you don't compromise because rather than than be an obstacle or a stumbling block, he chose to be. Come on, listen. Rather than being a stumbling block, Paul chose to be a stone to step on so that people could get to know Jesus. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I want to be a stone that helps people go to the next level. Hey, hey, oh man, oh that this generation would understand that. Verse twenty four. Do you, do you not know? That in a race, all runners run, except me when I'm in the air. But only one, only one person wins the race. Well, maybe not in this society. Here's the real one. Here's no. All right. Only one wins. Only one should win a prize. All right. I'll say it like this. He goes on to say, the reason I, I give up on my liberties is that I understand the big picture. What's the big picture, pastor? Eternity. Paul understood heaven is real. He understood something that that sometimes, man, we we don't even comprehend our head uh, our heads around. Because in Acts fourteen nine, he was left for dead outside Lystra, and there the scripture tells us that he was caught up into heaven. As a matter of fact, he says whether it was the spirit or whether it was physically, I don't remember, I don't know. But what I saw was amazing, and I can't even explain it to you. It's amazing. So Paul he saw a sneak peek of eternity, and Paul's like. something bigger and something better is coming. So, and, and he says this, so he's talking about this race. So run, okay, here you go, pastor. So run that you may obtain it, right? Paul says eternity, heaven, heaven with Jesus, a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus will be worth it. You you may say, well, I, I'm sure Paul and, and Cyril Church Giants are laughing me in this walk and, you know, you think in your mind, I, I can never keep up with that pace. Can I tell you something? You're not competing against Paul. You're competing against yourself. Right? You are. In this journey, hey, you're not competing against pastor. You're competing against yourself. Listen, I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. Jesus teaching on the talents. He entrusted everyone with the talents. Can I, can I just say this? Have you developed it for the glory of God? Are you laying down your rights for, for this temporary or this or, or for, the, for an eternal crown and a gift? Verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive a perishable wreath, or they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we uh, an imperishable. So speaking to the Corinthians, why this is important, the Isthmus Games were were the second most important games at the time, okay? And, And they were held there in that region there in Corinth, and they took place there. And speaking of a race, they would the Corinthians would have understood this because they would have saw athletes around them using uh, a runner as an analogy, saying, hey, these people, man, they spend years and years and years training for one race, right? Kind of like the, uh, the people in the Olympics, the Olympians. They spend years, their whole childhood practicing, working out. Have you ever thought about the people that do the short runs and races? They spend their whole life uh, willing to train, 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 train to run for less than 10 seconds. It's crazy to win a prize, a gold medal, right? And Paul's saying all those things, those medals, guess what? They're perishable. They're going to disappear away. Can I tell you this? What, what, what are you doing with the gospel is, is incorruptible and eternal. Verse 26, we're almost done. So I do not run aimlessly. I'm not just running haphazardly. No, I'm running with a purpose is what he's saying. I do not box as one beating the air. <laughs> How many of your kids do that, right? But I 
discipline my body. So saying I discipline my body is to keep it under, keep it under, the, that word under. So when you were carnal or a sinner, guess what? When you were a sinner, your, your carnal state was on top. It was the thing that was leading you, making you do, make decisions, making you, uh, your flesh was dominating you, all right? But once we're saved, guess what? The flesh is put under subjection of the spirit, or should be. And let me tell you something. The flesh hates to be in the basement, right? How many know that flesh likes to rear its head up every morning when you get up? It's the flesh that says, hit the snooze button one more time, right? I'm going to get up and pray in the morning. Beep, beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. Lord, I can pray later like I can pray now. Right? You know, come on. We start making excuses. It's, 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 and, and you want to know how to get the flesh under control? It's one of the hardest things. Oh, I don't like that word. I don't like that word either. When you fast and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give up a meal. Lord, I'm going to go pray and not be distracted by things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lay some things at your feet. Come on. How many know that is putting this, the flesh where he belongs? I'm, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, fast social media because I spend way too much time on it, Lord. And instead of taking that three hours that I spend on it a day, guess what? I'm going to read my Bible for 15 minutes. Lord, whoo. Well, that's a huge thing, right? And, and and think about this or or whatever. But we're getting our carnal man and, and under subjection to the spirit. And and therefore the spirit is ruled by God's spirit will be uh, which controls us. Come on, how many know that we need that? And and God will control our will, help us control our will, help us control our personality, and help us from not going in outbursts and yells and screams and our emotions. Here we go, last time, last part here, real quick. Keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. So disqualified here, this is, it means to disapprove after testing. So you didn't meet the goal. Anybody ever failed a test? Anybody didn't meet the, the criteria? Man, I'll never forget when I took my test to get my license. I, I knew there was 75. I passed it for 75. Praise the Lord, right? Disqualified means disapprove after testing. Paul's saying this, I let go of my liberty lest I might win some. Why? He understood he's in a race. And what he does in this life, okay, listen to me, what he does in this life will affect who he is and what he does in the coming age. He understood something or heaven or eternity. I don't have time to go into it. Man, there are crowns. Uh, that we will receive. Matter of fact, Jesus says at one point, if what you do in this life at some point, if you are faithful in little things here, that when you get to heaven, some will rule over five cities, some will rule over ten cities, and there's there's these things that do matter. What you do in this life matters. Even though I'm free to do all the things I can be, I can be disqualified. If I if I don't keep my flesh under control, guess what? I I, I can cause someone else to Again, I'll say this. I've yet to meet a believer or a Christian who was not happy knocking out, knocking out fleshly pursuits in their life. I, I've never, uh, listen, I've never heard anyone say, man, I, I never, I regret letting go of hate. Never heard that in my life. Never heard anyone say, man, I, I regret letting go of that bondage of lust that was killing me and that was destroying me. I, 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 I've never heard anyone say, I, I never, I regret letting go of those substances. No, because once they're free, they're free. And every time 
I, I have to get more and more uh, spiritual endurance in my walk. So, so Paul's saying this, use your liberties wisely. And he says this, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded means abundant life and hope at peace. I'm going to go back to this statement. And I'll let you test that. Thank you, God. I thank you. God, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you.